like to express my appreciation for you being here this morning. We have a good-sized crowd with some that are not normally with us. We're especially glad that you are here and invite you to come at each opportunity that you might have. It is our goal at Northwest Church of Christ to restore the New Testament church. We try to regularly make this statement because we want people to know what we're seeking to achieve. We want to restore the New Testament church in every area, whether that be in name, in organization, in the gospel that is taught, in the mission of the church, and especially in the worship service, as we will be speaking regarding that this morning. We want to replicate the worship that we read about in the New Testament. If you are here and anything that we do in our service this morning creates a question in your mind, or if something that I say from up here this morning causes you to have a question, please honor us by asking those questions and allow us to sit down with you and open God's Word and discuss these matters that are of great importance to us. We want to look at the subject of worshiping God's way. The definition of worship we find is two-part. Number one, reverent devotion and allegiance pledged to God. This is a general definition of the word, and this would be applicable to anything that we do in our lives that honor God. And we find scripture throughout the Bible that speaks of this type of worship. The second definition is the ceremonies by which this reverence is expressed. So essentially there's an informal, if you would allow me to use that word, and a formal worship. God has asked that His people collectively come and worship Him in the setting that we have this morning, that we're participating in right now. And you will notice these synonyms of the word worship, meaning adore or revere. We're going to deal basically with the ceremony of worship this morning, but I want to share one verse that gives us an overview of how our lives in general worship God. This is found in Hebrews 13, verses 15 through 16. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. So as we begin to open our minds about worship, and we think back all the way to the very beginning, God has always required sacrifice as a part of His worship. And so when we read the word sacrifice in these various verses, we understand that this has a connection that we're making a sacrifice to God in worship. Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that ye present yourselves a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. These are the things that we do daily. These are the things that we honor God with when we give Him thanks, when we pray to Him, when we think about Him through the day, when we meditate and study God's Word. Every one of these things are types of worship that we give unto God. But you know, sadly, many 
stop here with their worship of God. In fact, we hear people today who say, yes, I believe in God and in Jesus, but I don't go to church. I have a personal faith. I worship God in the things that I do. I believe in God. I live a good life. And that's my offer of service to God. Our life is the very foundational worship that we give to God. Our relationship on a personal level with Christ is the basis of our Christianity. But God wants more than just what we give Him personally. And we're going to be able to look at these verses, and when we get done today, we will have looked at a body of information that tells us that God seeks those who will collectively come together and worship Him as we're doing here today. In John 4, verse 21 to 24, we find a foundational passage about worship. This is a very familiar uh, set of scriptures that we've looked at often. It's a discussion between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Don't let your regular exposure to this passage or your being familiar with it deter you from looking at it closely this morning because we're going to look at the different aspects of this verse and then we're going to make practical application for us individually, for us as a congregation, and for Christianity on a universal basis. What does God want from us in our worship in this Christian age? And so we begin reading in verse 21, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Ye worship, or but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So first of all, here in verse 21, we find that there's a difference between informed worship and uninformed worship. And Christ is saying the Samaritans have worshipped from an uninformed position, but the Jews have been uninformed, and they know what they worship. Also, we have a definitive statement from Christ that going forward, it will not be about where we worship, but it will be about who we worship. The Samaritans attached special significance to Mount Jerusalem, and the Jews attached special worship provision to the city of Jerusalem because it was a part of their worship. That's where their temple was, it, under the Mosaical Law. But Christ said going forward, it won't be about where we worship, but it will be about who we worship. And then He names the being of which our worship should be yielded unto, and that is our God, Creator of heaven, and our Father. Also revealed in this passage is that God seeks those who will worship Him. God does not need anything from any of us. We are low creatures. We are ourselves inadequate. When we've done everything that we can to serve God, we're still unprofitable servants. And yet God states through Christ that He is seeking for us to worship Him. To me, that makes worship very, very important and that we do it according 
to the way that God has asked. And now also notice that true worship is defined in two different ways. Worshiping in spirit and worshiping in truth. Not only is that stated in this section of Scripture, but it's stated twice for emphasis. And the last time it's stated, Jesus said, must worship God in spirit and in truth. We do not have a choice about that. In spirit means that we have a full expression of our human emotion from our heart. We worship God in that way and offer that up to Him. And then we worship Him in truth. What does it mean to worship God in truth? We find in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So if we don't make any other point that you remember this morning other than this one point, please remember that true worship is constituted by worshiping from the heart and by worshiping according to God's Word. If we have one without the other, we have empty worship. We have to have both. And I think it's notable here that we might say the Samaritans worshipped in spirit, void of truth, while the Jews often worshipped in truth, void of spirit. Neither one will validate true worship that will be accepted by God. Worship is a theme of great priority in the Scripture. It is clearly commanded of God and exemplified throughout history by the people of God, going all the way back to Genesis 4, starting about the worship there of Cain and Abel, going all the way through Revelations 22, where the angel proclaimed that we should worship God. Almost every page of the Bible in some way addresses worship. And in many of our uh, backgrounds, we've heard a lot about worship. We've seen a lot of different things that's been done in worship, a lot of different worship elements practiced. And sometimes we get confused about what is the true worship of the Bible. We need never be confused about so great of importance a subject as worship. In the old patriarchal age, worship began with altars. In the Mosaical Age, it was with animal sacrifice. In the Christian Age, it's about spiritual sacrifice. And even looking forward to heaven where God's people will worship Him for an eternity. The heaven scenes that we are able to see through scriptures picture everyone there praising and worshiping God. If that's not in our heart today, we need to change our heart. Why would we want to go to an eternal place that is filled with worshiping God when we don't seek worship of Him at this time in our existence? We need to make sure that our heart is set on worshiping God. The song that we just sang before prayer about panting as a deer, seeking to worship God to fulfill what He wants in our life, this should frame our attitude as we consider these matters and issues about worship. The Pharisees had a big problem. We find in Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9, And this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines 
the commandments of men. Do you notice how they missed both elements of true worship? Where was their heart? Their heart was far from God. What were they doing as far as their service to God? They were teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So this morning as we discuss worship, we're going to contrast God's way and man's way. How would we know the difference between God's way of worship and man's selected way of worship? Again, we go to God's Word because the script for God's worship is there in Scripture and we can know the difference as to whether God has authorized the elements of worship or if man has. We need to be very careful that we're following God's way in our worship of Him. As we think about a collective worship of God, some people would argue that this is not taught in God's Word. As long as we have the right relationship with God, everything is okay. It's not about being a part of the church. Brother Marlin talked about having Christ without having the church and how that's an impossibility. Because when we embrace Christ and we obey the gospel, we're automatically put in the church. And this idea of collective worship is very similar. Thinking that we can have Christ without having collective worship is like saying we can have Christ without the church. Because the church is commanded and there are examples where the church comes together and worships God collectively. 1 Peter 2, verse 5, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We sense the assembled spiritual house. It's speaking of not just individual Christians, but Christians together in a collective way. Notice Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, And let us consider one another to provoke, one a, provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Here is a commandment that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And we're going to notice more commandments that illustrate the fact that this is important, that the church does this. We're going to be looking a lot at 1 Corinthians 14, which gives us a guideline or perimeters about how we are to worship when we come together. It's implied that the church comes together, and so it must worship in a certain way to follow the uh, script that God has given us for Christian worship. These things are repeated over and over in God's Word, not only in the New Testament, but as we will take a glimpse in a moment, back to the Old Testament. God has always requested and required people to worship Him. Let's go back and think about the very first case of worship specifically outlined in God's Word. This is found in Genesis chapter 4, and this case is with Cain and Abel. God commanded Cain and Abel to bring him a certain item for worship, and we know that because 
Romans 10 verse 17 says, So when faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And we know from Hebrews 11 that Abel offered a sacrifice by faith. So the fact is, God asked these two brothers to bring him worship. Abel brought an animal sacrifice, and the Bible says that God accepted that. Cain brought a vegetable sacrifice, and that sacrifice was rejected. Let's read these verses together. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and unto his offering he did not have respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. One brought acceptable true worship and one did not. They both responded to God's request to worship Him, but look what Cain did. He decided it was okay to bring something other than what God has asked. And God would not accept that worship. Why today do we feel like we can bring Him something of our own will and offer it to Him and expect that He will receive that? God has changed his prescribed elements of worship, but he has never changed the fact that he wants us to bring him what he has asked us to bring him and to be obedient. Let's look at another example, Leviticus 10, verses 1 through 3, moving into the Mosaical Law. Here, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, were offering worship to God. Let's read what happened. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, Aaron took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is that the Lord spake concerning, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. God put forth through the law of Moses a specific pattern and method for them to worship. It started in a tabernacle, and they had very specific instructions about how to build the tabernacle. And once the worship started, they had very specific instructions about how to carry that worship on. And God had commanded that when they started a fire for sacrifice, that it come from within the tabernacle. They brought this from without in the camp and brought it in. And we see how God respond, uh, responded to that and, and the flames coming out and killing these two that had offered him something that he had not asked for. A third example. This is King Saul sent to totally destroy the Amalekites. Came back with the king and with the best of the flocks. He came back within, in his mind that he would offer a super sacrifice to God. God had not asked for a super sacrifice. What he had asked for was for Saul to be obedient to his commandments. And we find these very strong applicable words that Samuel gave to Saul as he confronted him about stepping aside from God's will. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. 
for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Saul had a better idea. Saul elevated his will above God's will in this area where God had given him a commandment. God would not accept the will of Saul. He would only accept obedience. And because of Saul's disobedience, he was rejected from being king over Israel. You know, the Bible is full of these type of examples. We've only picked three. The New Testament tells us that the Old Testament was written as a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. That the things that happened there were in samples for our admonition. How long is it going to take us to learn that God is very specific, especially with worship? And when He gives commandments, He wants His people to follow those commandments. As we look around us in the world today and we try to apply some of these principles that we're talking about, what are the things that we hear? Worshiping God on horseback, motorcycles for Christ. I can be closer to God at the lake fishing than I can be at church worshiping Him. This idea that my faith is a private, personal faith, and I'm a spiritual person, but I don't have to prove that to anybody. I don't have to go anywhere or do anything. People are placing themselves above God and deciding what He should accept as worship. And they make excuses without recognizing that we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. That's true worship. Other worship, where we turn away from what God has commanded, is following men. In India, the Hindu religion celebrates the fact that it's so tolerant. You can worship a rock, that's okay with me. I'm going to worship a snake, and that's going to be okay with you. The other's going to worship the elephant god, and the other the monkey god. Everybody does what they want, and that's, that's just fine. And they see that as something that makes them godly or spiritual because of their tolerance. From the very beginning of the church, once the apostles had directed it, even while they were directing it, people were trying to take the worship to aside to take a different track away from God. And as church history developed over the years, men have adjusted the worship of the church. And many worship services that we might see today have no roots in God's Word any longer. They're total fabrications from men's minds. And when we look at history and we see that kind of thing develop, it should be a red flag to us and a warning to us. If we start changing things, if we're not focused on restoring the church in every aspect, then that drift will occur and we will find ourselves, maybe not in short term, but in long term, we will be away from what God has asked us to do. In the church today, there's changes that are occurring in the church of Christ. These changes have to do with the worship. 
Some of the things that we see going on have to do with the music in the church. Some things have to do with who's to teach in the church. Some things have to do with rearranging the assembly of the church. We see a lot of things going on. What we find in God's Word are these elements, and I want to just review these quickly to put forth the standard that we find in Scripture that establishes what true worship is. We're to sing, Ephesians 5.19, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, in your heart to the Lord. We're to sing in our heart. How do we know this is to be a part of the assembly? Hebrews 2.12, Paul said, In the midst of the congregation will I sing praises unto God. All of our singing may not be in the assembly, and when we sing, we can praise God individually. But there is an element of worship that we're called on to do collectively in the assembly of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 15. Again, I remind you, this chapter deals with the assembled church and how it is to process the worship within that church. And we find in verse 15, What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Here it is in the the assembly of the church. Singing in spirit and understanding. Do you see how that parallels worshiping God in spirit and in truth? When we sing, we're to do that in spirit and in understanding. Look at the first part of the verse. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. Singing and prayer are elements that God has placed in the New Testament church to do collectively as they come together and worship Him. We find other things are to be included. Acts 20, verse 7. And upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Here is an example. We find a lot of these things in commandment form and are example form. Here is the church gathering on the first day of the week. They came together, and the Bible says Paul preached unto them. When we move on over in 1 Corinthians 14 in a moment, we're going to see regulation on teaching because teaching was to be a part of the worship assembly of the church. Not only that, again, look at the earlier part of the verse, and upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them ready to depart on the morrow. They came there to break bread. That breaking of bread is a reference to the Lord's Supper. That's something that is unique that we do collectively as the body of Christ, and we do that on the first day of the week. We have this example of that. We have the teachings where Christ established the Lord's Supper. We have Paul dealing with the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11, where he told us specifically how we are to properly partake of the Lord's Supper. There's no doubt that this is what God wants us, one of the elements that He wants us to observe when we come together and worship Him. 
The last one would be the, the contribution. When we're together upon the first day of the week, we're to lay by in store. And again, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, we see the commandment, we see the timing of it. This was something given to various churches all across this region. We know that Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17, that he taught the same thing in every church. This is the established true worship that we can find in God's Word. Can we add something to that? If we can find it in the record, if we can find it in God's Word, if we have a commandment, if we have an example to do that, this is what is found. We're not, to not add to or take away from it. Can we adjust it some way to make it more palatable to what we want? When we do that, we're doing exactly what Cain did, what Nadab and Abihu did, and what Saul did. We're trying to stand above the commandments of God and say, we have a better idea. We want to bring this to you. We want to sacrifice this to you in worship. And God, why won't you take it? But these principles hold true that, that we've mentioned. What happens when we truly worship God? Verse 33 of 1 Corinthians 14, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace is in all the churches of the saints. Let all things be done decently and in order. Do you believe that we serve a God of order, a God of structure? As you've studied about God in various places in the Scripture, is He a God that gives a pattern and follows that pattern and is always true to that pattern is, and is always faithful, even in nature, with gravity and certain laws that He put in place, these things are faithful, they're stable, they're unchanging. And God has given us our worship in the same way. He is not the author of confusion. He doesn't tell me to worship in one way and another person to worship in another way and put us at odds at each other. He is also requires us to do things decently and in order. These are overall principles along with these elements that we've mentioned that apply to our worship assembly. And when we do these things, there's great blessings. We have an increase in knowledge. We develop our character. Our zeal is stimulated. We increase fellowship. These are side benefits that we gain because we come and we give God what He's asked for. We're not coming here to get what we want. We're coming here to praise, worship, and lift up God. And when we do that, then our Creator has set a process in place that benefits us and brings us the blessings that we need. When we begin to adjust these things, then we begin to dilute the blessings that we will receive. God will not accept worship unless it is in spirit and in truth. We talked about some things that are changing even in the church of Christ. Some churches have changed their assembly. They're taking certain people out and putting them in various places. The concept of coming together is just that. And it's used multiple times 
in reference to the church assembly, we're to come together. Here's an example. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23. If therefore the whole church be come together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and so on and so forth. It's understood that when the church assembles, it's going to be in one place. In fact, we can see this format has held true all the way from the time of the Law of Moses. Looking back to Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 11 through 13. And when all Israel is come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and children and thy stranger that is within thy gate, that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law and that their children which have not known anything may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as ye live in the land, whether ye go over Jordan to possess it. There's a term that's popular in religion. It's called uh, inter-family worship or family-based worship. And it's presented as a new idea that the whole family comes together in the same place and they worship God. And in that setting, we receive an increase in knowledge. We receive a benefit to our character. We receive fellowship. All of those things are gained when we do exactly what God's pattern set forth for us. Reaching all the way back to this time of Moses. He said, bring everyone together, men, women, and children. And then he comes back and mentions children again. And he says that they which have not known anything, may hear and learn. Either we accept from God's Word that children are able to learn in the assembly, or we reject that, and we think that our own ideas are, are better than what God has given us. God never changed that through the law of Moses as we come into the, the church age. He changed the elements in our worship, but we do not find where He ever changed the format. Every time we read about worship in a collective sense with these elements that we've talked about, it is the whole church coming together. Why would we want to change that to fit what we want to do? What about the weekly Lord's Supper observance? We're seeing that being diluted, being changed, being only done at other intervals rather than weekly. As we look to the pattern, we find that they came together on the first day of the week to break bread. The commandment is worded very similar to keep the Sabbath. These Jews that were in the church and doing those things understood that every week had a Sabbath. Just like they observed it under the Mosaical Law, they were together observing the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup. The early church, if you go back and study history, it is established that they observe the Lord's Supper every week. So why, when it comes to God's worship again, why would we want to look a different direction and change it to be something other than that? What about the music part of our assembly? Here is the script for the, those under the law of Moses and the music 
that they were to use in their worship. And I want us to read this together. Second Chronicles 29, 25 to 29. And he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with psalteries, and with harps, according to the commandment of David and of Gad the king's seer and Nathan the prophet. For so was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. There was no doubt what God wanted when they worshipped him under the law of Moses. He wanted them to sing, and he wanted them to play instruments. And it is noted here specifically, verse 26, And the Levites stood with the instruments of David, and the priest with the trumpets. And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets, and with the instruments ordained by David, king of Israel. And notice, all the congregation worshipped. Again, they were all together. They were doing animal sacrifice as they had been prescribed under the law of Moses. They were singing. They were playing these instruments. And the singers sang and the trumpeters sounded and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had made an end of offering, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. Let me ask you a question. Do you think God who created man is capable of communicating with him about what he wants in worship? If he had wanted worship in the Christian age, he could have commanded it exactly as he did under the old law. But remember, there was a change of covenant. The elements of worship changed after Christ died on the cross. Animal sacrifice was not brought forward, neither was instrumental music. We looked at a couple of verses in the New Testament about singing. You can look at every verse that's in the context of Christian worship after Acts 1 when the church was established, and every one of them specifies singing and never says anything about playing. Does that not tell us what God wanted in our worship? Is it okay for us to pull something from the old law and add it in? Could we burn incense? Could we bring an animal sacrifice in here? Can we bring instruments of music in here and say that God asked for it back there, so we're going to do it now? You see, we're not following God's will in our worship. Christian worship never included this, and yet... Even the churches of Christ today are beginning to use instrumental music and saying we don't see any problem with it. What about women and their role in the assembly of the church? I want to review these scriptures with you. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. And no, this doesn't just apply to Corinth. Paul was teaching something here that he said he taught in every church. And not only that, these same principles, a parallel passage, is found in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. 
Today, women are taking unprescribed roles in the assembly. Women are preaching in the assembly of the church, seeking to worship and honor God. These are the verses that were given that address that for Christian worship. How can we twist this to make it okay to turn from what God has asked for worship and do what we want to do rather than what God has asked us to do? I believe that all of these elements show us a trend, if we're not very careful, to turn away from true worship of God. I want us to think about the verses just following Hebrews 10, verse 25. We read it earlier, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but thus much the more as you wait, those words that we read. Here we have following that in verse 26. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins but a fearful, certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. We've read those examples, some of them this morning. Verse 29, Of how much sore punish suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. I believe we apply these principles to willful sin. We're all sinners, we understand that, but we're all fighting to be closer to God as true children. We're going to repent of that sin and we're going to try to improve and do better. What if we turn away and say, you know what, I'm not going to try anymore. I'm going to do what I want to do. Or I know what God's asked me to do in my worship, but I'm going to bring Him what I want to bring Him. I've got this talent. I can play an instrument. I can move people with this talent. So I'm going to bring this to God, and I know He will appreciate what I'm bringing to Him. I think we need to be very serious as we look at these principles, at these commandments, at these examples, and see that these things are important and that we do not need to turn against God. We do not need to add to or take away from what God has prescribed for us in our worship. Here's a quote from Victoria Olstein, wife of the preacher Joel Olstein. And I quote, When you come to church, when you worship Him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself, because that's what makes God happy. Did we read that anywhere in the Bible today? That we come together, we're here to make ourselves happy, to please ourselves, to do what's enjoyable or entertaining to us? The sound and the light shows that are a big part of religion today in our country that entertain that people are impressed with are those things from man's worship or from God's worship and how do we apply and how do we sort through these things and how do we make decisions for ourselves individually for our families for those that we have influence with and for the congregation where we attend 
Do we have a set of parameters that are simple and straightforward that we can follow? I believe that we can clearly see that those things are given to us in His Word. Again, why would we want to look a different direction when we understand how particular God is about worship? Again, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. I hope that these principles will soak in. They will mean a lot to us. As we close this morning, let's consider our worship in this way. If we are truly worshiping God, we're doing it in spirit and in truth. We're focusing on what God has asked us to do. That's going to provoke a thought in our mind. If we have a thought about what God wants and what He wants us to do, then that's going to bring about a response. And we're going to try to change the way we are in our human element to the way God wants us to be. And once we have that response, we have another thought and another response. And when we're together and we're properly worshiping God, this should be something that becomes a continuous circle. In the time that we worship, we are giving ourselves completely from our heart to the Lord with the script that, and with the elements that He has provided for us to worship Him. God has always required the first and the best. Let's give Him our first and our best in worship. We want to offer an invitation at this time. We noted that we seek to restore the New Testament church and the gospel that it teaches. When we teach how to become a member of the church, we go back to the script, Scripture, to the biblical record, and we note that a person has to believe, they have to repent, they have to confess, and then they need to be baptized for the remission of sins. These are the words that are taught over and over again. And we have, again, commandment and example. And we could make a lesson about that and look at it on the same basis. There's so many different plans that are offered. There's so many different things that are said about what we need to do to make our lives right with God. Which plan do you want to follow in your life? The one that pleases God and actually represents the truth and will build a relationship with Him or something that is not the truth, something that is from man's mind. This morning, if you have studied and you understand the gospel and the, the things that you need to obey, we want to encourage you to take advantage of this opportunity and come forward and we will assist you in being baptized. If you're here this morning and you would like to have the prayers of the church, we'd also help you in that way. Come forward if we can help as we stand and sing the song of invitation.